Have you been saved? Have you been saved, brother? There's probably no question that puts more fear in the hearts of Catholics than to have someone come to your door and be like, hey, I'd like to talk to you about Jesus. Have you been saved? And you're like, oh my gosh, I don't know. And sometimes, unfortunately, people respond, uh, well, no, I'm Catholic. Okay, no, that's, that's a terrible, terrible answer. If you learn nothing else from this homily, you're going to learn the answer to this question. Have you been saved? The answer is not. No, I'm Catholic. You have definitely been saved if you're Catholic. You've been saved, you are being saved, and you hope to be saved in the end. But before we get to that, the answer to the question, maybe it's good to look at just how important that question really is. After all, when our Protestant brothers and sisters come to our doors and want to evangelize, to share the good news with us, isn't it a little interesting that that is, is actually the question that is the beginning, the entry into the conversation? Have you been saved? It's a very important question. Now, we've talked these last couple of weeks in homilies about how we need saving, that we are a bunch of miserable, broken sinners that cannot save ourselves, and that salvation is of the utmost importance, but we're okay because we have a Savior, Jesus Christ, who suffered, died for us, and rose from the dead so that we could be saved from our sins and live forever in heaven with God. That's good news, the good news of salvation. So in the past, we've talked about how, step one, we need to know how much we need salvation. That's why our Protestant brothers and sisters come to the door and knock and say, have you been saved? Because that is the most important question. Where will I end up when this life is done? Will I be with God forever in heaven or will I be forever apart from God in that we call hell? Salvation, that is the question. Now, Notice that when Peter gets up to speak in the Acts of the Apostles today in the first reading, this is also the thing that is foremost on his mind. He's giving one of his first homilies. And what does he choose to focus on for that first homily? After talking about how Jesus died, rose from the dead, he gets to the why of it. Why did Jesus die and rise from the dead? Salvation. And so Peter gets up today before the, the leaders of the people and the elders. He's just healed a, a crippled person, someone who couldn't walk. Peter says, get up and walk, and he does. In the name of Jesus, I tell you, rise and walk, and he does. And so now the Jewish leaders are questioning him. In whose name are you doing these things? He says, well... If we're being questioned by a, for a good deed done to a cripple, namely by what means he was saved, then all of you and all the people of Israel should know that it was in the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead. In his name, this man stands before you healed. Peter is saying, you want to know how this power works? how it is that people are cured of their diseases, raised from the dead. Peter is doing the very same things Jesus did. He says, it is in the name of Jesus that these things happen. And here's, here's the key thing. He then says, you, you builders, you leaders of the Jewish people, 
Have you not read in the scriptures, the Psalm that we read today at mass, that the stone rejected by you, the builders, has become the cornerstone? Now that's, that's punchy because he's saying that, that the cornerstone, the most important stone in the whole building, the one that would be the choicest, most select, most important stone, that's Jesus. And you threw him away as if he was nothing. And now he gets to the big punchy conclusion of his whole sermon. He says, and I quote, there is no salvation through anyone else, nor is there any other name under heaven given to the human race by which we are to be saved. There it is, salvation again. Where do we get salvation? Only in the name of Jesus. Well, what if we follow Father Abraham? We've got the, the covenant. We're the Jewish leaders. We'll follow Abraham, not this Jesus. No, no other name. Only in Jesus Christ is salvation. Abraham will not save you. Today we say, well, what if I follow my conscience? What if I'm a, what if I'm a good atheist even? No, no other name. What if I follow Muhammad? What if I'm a good Muslim? No, no salvation through Muhammad. No salvation through Buddha. No salvation through just being a good person. No, there is no other name. And the church has taught this from the beginning of the Acts of the Apostles with St. Peter all the way up to the present day. Sometimes people say, Father Sean, you know, we like it when you get a little bit deep in theology. Sometimes you're just kind of entertaining and that's nice, but give us some hard stuff. All right, well, here's some hard hidden theology. The church teaches dogma cannot err. Extra ecclesium nulla salus. No salvation outside the church. So if salvation is the most important question, well then the fact that there is no salvation outside the church is a very important answer to that question. How are we saved? Only through Jesus Christ. Now, Church has taught that for 2,000 years. However, people might ask, well, what, what about my, my good Jewish friend living according to the covenant? Is that not good? Is that not good? It is good. People trying to, to be a, a good Muslim, a good Buddhist, a good Hindu, good. Church, as we prayed on Good Friday, says good people who try to follow the light of their conscience, good. But here's, here's the key thing. Second Vatican Council, theology of the 1960s, dogmatic constitution on the church says, no salvation outside the church, only saved through Jesus Christ, anyone who's saved, but those who through no fault of their own do not know Jesus and have not rejected him can also hope to be saved. Now notice a couple things here. It, it doesn't say that everybody just does their own path and all paths lead to heaven. Certainly not. It also does not say that even if you don't know Jesus and you live a good life, that it's guaranteed that you might go to heaven. It's just, it's not completely ruled out. And that, that might be a little development in our understanding of what it means to say that there's no salvation outside the church. If you would ask people in the 1950s, what does that mean? It means you have to be baptized, practicing Catholic 
or you are not going to heaven. Okay, the church never officially taught that, but that was kind of the thought. Okay, now we can recognize that, all right, no salvation except through Jesus, but maybe if people know nothing of Jesus and it's not their fault through no fault of their own, that's the key phrase, then it's possible for salvation. So could there be good Jews, good Muslims, good Hindus in heaven? Yes, but only because of Jesus's passion, death, and resurrection. There will only be Catholics in heaven because everyone who is in heaven will be in the one, the katahoas, the Catholic church founded by Jesus. If you get to heaven, it's only through the passion, death, resurrection of Jesus. There is no other way. Now, how does God bring this offer of salvation then to people who don't know him? Well, the way that this has normally been done is through the great missionary work of the church. People look at our, our country here in America and the new world that was, you know, discovered by Europeans in the, in the 15th century. Well, the number one reason why people came to America, number one reason, not economic. Yeah, there was some economic interest and some people were interested in that but they came and it maybe didn't work and they left, or they tried and whatever. Number one reason why people came to America and stayed is they found out that when the new world was discovered, that there are thousands of people who have never heard about Jesus. If we love them, we need to go tell them about Jesus because if they are not baptized, they cannot be saved. And so that's what inspired missionaries throughout the history of our church to go and spread the gospel. They really believed the teaching of the church that if I don't go and spread the gospel, if I don't tell these people about Jesus, they will be in hell and not heaven. If I love them, I must go proclaim the gospel. That missionary spirit has driven the faith to all corners of the world. Because here's the... Here's back to that full answer to the question. When the Protestant comes to your door and asks if you've been saved, if you have been baptized, you have been saved. Okay? The answer is not, no, I'm Catholic. The answer is, yes, I was saved. And then you ought to be able to give the date. I was, the save, I was saved December 12th, 1976, in the church of St. Joseph in Leavenworth, Kansas, when Father Carl poured water on my head three times and said, Sean, I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. At that moment, everything that Jesus did on the cross, his passion, death, and resurrection, his payment of all debt to sin, rushed upon little, cute, adorable baby Sean, me. And I was saved. Now, that's true for all of you too, whether you're baptized as an infant or as an adult, you are saved, not because of anything you did, it's not like I choose Jesus as my Lord and Savior, so I get saved. No, Jesus chooses you, whether as a baby or as an adult. You respond to that if you're an adult and you're able, and Jesus saves you through the blood of the lamb shed on the cross. The most important moment of your life. So if you don't know the date, go look it up. Find out when you were baptized. But we also know as Catholics, in contrast to some of the belief of our Protestant brothers and sisters, that God does not force himself upon us. So even though we might have been saved in our baptism, we can reject God. At any moment, we can say, you know, God, everything you've given me, that's great. I don't want it. 
I'd rather go play sports on Sunday morning than go to mass. You know, it's just a little too difficult, God, so I don't wanna keep your law. I'm gonna do my thing. At any point, we are capable of telling Jesus, I don't want you, I'll do it my way from here. That's why it's not just important to say I have been saved. It's important to realize we are working out our salvation with fear and trembling, as St. Paul says, so we are being saved right now. That's why we have the sacraments. That's why we know we come to the Eucharist every Sunday, not because we have to, but because we know we need it. If we are going to persevere in the salvation given us at baptism, we've got to stay in touch with the Lamb of God who saves us. We get that in the Eucharist, the sacrament of penance, the sacraments in general, that keeps us in touch with salvation so that in the end, we will persevere and we will finally be saved in the end. At the end of life, we will be able to say, yes, Jesus, I, I was saved in my baptism. You have saved me throughout my life. And now I want to be with you forever in heaven. And I am finally, permanently, forever saved in heaven. So, are you saved? Yes, I've been saved, December 12th, 1976. I am being saved right now and praise God, I have the Eucharist that I can go and that salvation is given to me every day. Every day I say yes to Jesus as best I can and if I turn away from it, I go to confession so that I am being saved. And in the end, I hope that I will be saved permanently forever in heaven. I have been saved, I am being saved and I pray that I will be saved. It's a three-part answer to that seemingly simple question, are you saved? Yes, yes, and yes. Have been, am being, will be, God willing. That's the whole, the whole thing. Now, notice what happens if we start to say that somehow salvation doesn't really matter. Or like today, so many people think, well, you know, it doesn't really matter if you're Catholic. You could, you could be a, a good Protestant and go to heaven, so that's just as good. Or, you know, a good Muslim, a good Buddhist. You, you could be a good atheist and go to heaven. Vatican II says so. Okay, again, notice Vatican II says not guaranteed. We can hope. It definitely doesn't say that it's easy. Imagine trying to go through life without the Eucharist or confession. Most importantly, we cannot simply think that all roads are the same. That's actually heresy. That is the heresy of indifferentism, to think that it doesn't matter how I, I live my life, what faith I belong to. Think what that would mean if it doesn't matter if you're Catholic or not. That means that Jesus came, suffered, died for us, gave us the Eucharist, confession, the sacraments of baptism, confirmation, marriage, holy orders, anointing of the sick. Jesus came and did all that, but it doesn't really matter. I mean, it's nice that he gave us the Eucharist, but you don't need it. You could do it some other way. Yeah, confession's really cool, but if you don't have it, no big deal. Think about how ridiculous that is. And yet that is what we say as Catholics when we say it really doesn't matter if you're Catholic. Missionaries did not believe this. Think of St. Isaac Jogue and the North American martyrs. They came to this world to spread the gospel, like I said, because people need it. And the people they came to spread the gospel to killed them. They said, yeah, we don't like your message about this Jesus guy. Go home. Oh, you won't go home? We'll kill you. Isaac Job, one of the North American martyrs came. They, they tried to tomahawk him to death, bit off his fingers. He escaped narrowly back to France. And as soon as he got back to France, he's like, why did you bring me here? I wasn't done preaching the gospel. I got to go back. 
So he goes back to America to try again to preach the gospel, and this time they do tomahawk him to death. Why would anybody do that? Because they really believe what Peter is saying here. No salvation under any other name but Jesus. And if you really believe that and you really love, then you've got to go tell everybody. It is not simply enough to come to church on Sunday and say, well, I'm good, I'm Catholic, and I'm, I'm doing it. And No, today is Good Shepherd Sunday and World Day of Prayer for Vocations. Why do we see maybe today's a lack of vocations? Well, if the Eucharist doesn't matter, why would anyone be a priest? If you can just talk to God and have your sins forgiven, why would someone be a priest and give up their life to be a, a confessor, to help someone? Why would people throw down their lives at the foot of the altar to celebrate the Eucharist if it just doesn't matter in the end? Why would someone be a religious sister or brother to go spread the gospel all over the world if in the end it doesn't matter because everyone's going to heaven? You wanna see a rebirth of vocations in this life. We need to take seriously how important it is to be Catholic, to be in union with Christ in his church. If that matters, then all of a sudden we'll see people willing to lay down their life for it again to go tell everyone the truth about Jesus. There is no salvation through anyone else, St. Peter says, nor is there any other name under heaven given to the human race by which we are to be saved. That is good news. But it's only going to get out if you go do it. Because it's true. If people through no fault of their own don't know about it, they might be saved. But woe to you if someone does not hear about Jesus through your own fault, because you didn't share it. Let's take this seriously. Let's take the sacraments seriously. Let's take the passion, death, and resurrection of Jesus seriously. And if we do, then we will want to share it with the whole world so that as Jesus says in the gospel today, there will be one shepherd and one flock, one holy Catholic apostolic church forever in heaven, salvation offered to everyone.